Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 107, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 16. Only thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered him from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some sat in darkness and in gloom, prisoners in misery and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Their hearts were bowed down with hard labor they fell down with no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their bonds asunder. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two bars of iron. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so Colossians is our New Testament reading, chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Listen now for the word of the Lord. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, in spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, Lord, we invite you to come into this sanctuary. Be with us in this time of preaching that we may hear good news that would speak to our lives. Lord, you are our God, and we seek you, we love you, and we keep our hope inside of you. Amen. A naval aviator, Charles Plum, who, interesting enough, went to Naval Academy with our own Ed Caster, tells a story. He was a fighter pilot, and he flew during the Vietnam War. And he flew 75 missions, and on the 76th mission, he was shot down, he ejected, his parachute deployed, and he descended, and he was captured and imprisoned for the remainder of the war. After the war, he was released, he came back to the United States, resumed his life with his wife and his family, and years later, he's in a restaurant, a small like diner with his wife, and a boisterous man came up to him and said, 
You're Charlie Plum. You're Plum. You flew jet fighters in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. You were shot down. Now Plum had absolutely no idea who this guy was. And they were just sitting there and they looked up and they started chatting and talking and how did you know each other? How were we connected? And at one point the man said, I packed your parachute. <laughs> That evening, Plum remembers being awake in the middle of the night, and Plum says this, I kept wondering what he had looked like in a Navy uniform, a white hat, a bib in the back, and bell-bottom trousers, and I wonder how many times I might have seen him and not even said good morning, how are you, or anything, because, you see, I was a fighter pilot, and he was just a sailor. I received a card in the mail. I want to read it to you. Dear Jim, thank you so much for leading our congregation in worship on Sunday. Your message on reaching out and taking chances was a reminder of how we can help improve our world among us. I received many favorable comments as well. Hope to see you in the future. Blessings, Helen Barnes, worship and music. On July 10th, I had led the 8 o'clock right here in this room and then drove swiftly but legally down to Milan and <laughs> led worship for them. And I preached a sermon that I preached at Young Life, and I shared with them good news. And she wrote that afterwards, just a short note, probably does it every week because they're without a pastor, writes a short note thanking you or me or whoever for preaching there. I received a second note this summer from a high schooler. Uh, we had led, in June, we went on the Indiana mission trip, took a bunch of high schoolers, there were 25 of us down in Indiana, and part of our tradition as uh, a ministry is we have mailbags, and every student has a mailbag, actually every person has a mailbag, and in the mailbags you can write notes and put notes of encouragement and notes of thanksgiving and notes of love, and you can write to each other, and this is from one of our um, students, this is what she wrote, RJ? Thank you for another great trip and all the memories. I've had so much fun on the work sites and off them talking to you about random stuff. <laughs> Two notes. Two quick things written quickly, probably. I keep those notes. If you're in my office next to my beautiful old air conditioner, I have two or three. <laughs> At least it's an air conditioner. <laughs> so I had two or three uh, notes that I've received from parishioners and from Helen just sitting there uh, encouraging me. And then if I ever have that moment, I have to say this congregation, we're kind of tough. We're a little tough. And every now and then I get kicked around. <laughs> And so if I'm having that day, I go in and I'll go into my closet and I'll take that bag of letters down and I will read them. And so this week in anticipation of this sermon, I pulled them down and read all the Indiana ones. <laughs> it, for the sermon, I read all the Okay. I read all the notes and just was lifted up. I keep those notes because when I say we, are a tough congregation. I'm talking about myself too. If you know me, you know I am sardonic, I am sarcastic, and I got a dry sense of humor. On the trip, we had two people on the trip who were friends and not from our church, and one of them said to me, I can't tell when you're joking. 
Would you smile when you joke? And then I would know. But when you say something with a straight face, I'm just like, I don't know what he's talking about. So Colossians indicts me. I say we are tough because I'm tough too. I'll say things. I said a thing or two yesterday. I was working the big house selling um, lots of stuff to happy um, soccer fans. And I had a couple of moments where I spoke a little sharply. You just want to reach out and grab those words and put them back in your mouth. But you can't do that. Listen to this again. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together, together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. It gets me every time. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. We are working our way through Armstrong's, Karen Armstrong's book, and I've got the meat, the middle. I got step six, five, mindfulness. Step six, action. Two interesting little chapters. What is mindfulness? Well, mindfulness and action. Mindfulness is about knowing who you are inside, and then action is doing something good after you know who you are inside. Uh, sometimes it's simple, quiet, nourishing acts that make life better. Sometimes it's the small stuff. Um, I have a feeling those people don't have any idea that written me notes that I read and go, oh, that was a good moment. I'm nourished by them. Mindfulness, it's an internal awareness that of the, what's going on and how we're feeling, what's inside of us. Martin Luther, writing in the 16th century, says, God creates out of nothing. Therefore, until people are nothing, God can make nothing out of them. Catch that? Until we become nothing, God can't fill us with the love, the meekness, the humility, the patience, the kindness. God can't fill us up so that we can share that with the world. Armstrong, on page 108, says this. This called appraisal of our behavior helps us to become aware that our judgments are often biased and dependent on a passing mood and that our, I love this, endless self-preoccupation brings us into conflict with people who seem to get in our way. This affects us too. It might be affecting you as you listen to this sermon right now or your feelings of worship this day. What happens yesterday affects how we feel today. So if you went to the big house and got rained on on your approach and finally arrived and then found that you had a large, beautiful human sitting next to you in your 18 inches of space, and <laughs> then came out to our booth and discovered we were backed up, and as I heard multiple times, out of Heineken, and you just <laughs> had those moments. <laughs> you have those moments when you're like, oh. And then you come to church and there was no parking because the 9 o'clock people were chatting. And you, <laughs> you have those moments when you're like, this is not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> or, truthfully, it's been a tough week at work. Or it's been a tough week with your doctor. Or it's been a tough week <coughs> with your grown children. Or a tough week with your children, children, your young children. <laughs> and so that affects you. Mindfulness, though, is going saying, don't let it derail your day. But know how you feel. Take a look at yourself. Know how you feel. And then make decisions for good. Make decisions for love. Decisions for kindness. Rather than letting that mood affects us, affect us. Mindfulness says know how you are. 
Now, when I first got to uh, First Pres Ann Arbor, I came in 2008, and I was interviewed by a beautiful search committee that had staff at Starbucks, no less. And I came here, and I was instructed to change the youth ministry. I thought y'all knew I was called to change the youth ministry, but apparently you weren't, because I ran into multiple people who liked the things the way they were. Never heard that in a church, right? And you like them the way they are. And so I come in, and I changed lots of stuff, and I changed it quick. I didn't do any of that one year of kindness and then change. I just came and changed it, and it was difficult. And one person who I love dearly, and we are good together now, don't worry about this, came up to me after church one day, caught me right outside my office, and she gave me both barrels of your rock. And it was long, and it was hard, and it was hard to hear. And I said to her, would you come into my office? And I want to hear more. Let's talk about this. And she said, I'm busy, and took off. <laughs> Three years later, I was in a heated staff meeting. Um, I don't remember what the issue was, but the campus pastor and I disagreed. And afterwards, I went to his office. I knocked on his door. He came out. I gave him both barrels. And I, he said, you want to come into my office? And I said, no, I'm busy. <laughs> I got back to my office, and about 45 minutes later, the Holy Spirit convicted me. So I went back to David's office. I knocked, went in. He took me in, and even though I'd been rude, I apologized. He apologized. I had no idea what we said to staff. We talked about whatever the issue was. And then David said, let's pray. And we took about 10 minutes to just pray together and to remember that we love each other. We're on staff together, and life is going to be good. That we can, this is who we are. We're not perfect, but we're going to move forward. But that I'm busy. I remember at one of the points of struggle um, in my early time, uh, I remember calling uh, an American Baptist <coughs> pastor, Reverend Dr. Daniel Glaze. He's down in South Carolina. And I remember talking to him about just some struggles I was having, some dealing with the toughness of the congregation. And uh, Daniel Glaze told me something that he said is true for American Baptists. Now, I don't know if it's true all American Baptists or just South Carolina Baptists. No idea. But he said in his church, no one, and in Baptist churches, no one can give you both barrels or insult you or criticize you vehemently on Sunday. That is a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> and what he said was... If someone wants to, they say, can I talk to you this week? And then he calls them, and they set up an appointment for Tuesday. He said he'll meet them in their conference room for 15 minutes. He'll meet them in a coffee house. He'll meet them for lunch. He'll meet them anytime they want, and they can they can talk because they have good ideas. Absolutely. Clergy are not perfect, as you work with us, you'll know. We're not perfect. So he said he meets with them, and they talk about it. But he said it's amazing how many times he calls on a Sunday afternoon or a Monday morning. And the person says, I can't remember why I wanted to talk to you so <laughs> Because mindfulness, is it important enough to take 15 minutes out of your work week? Or out of your free time? Or is it so easy to speak harshly in church or at work? you got to apply it out. Is it so easy to speak harshly rather than think it through and make a time to sit with the person we're in conflict with? It's so much easier to move forward. So that's mindfulness. And then what do we do when we know how we are? We start doing love. Listen to Karen Armstrong in, uh, sorry. Listen to Karen Armstrong on page 113. Make a resolution to act once every day in accordance with the positive version of the golden rule. Treat others as you would wish to be treated yourself. 
This need not be a grand dramatic gesture. It can be a little, nameless, unremembered act that may seem insignificant to you. What insignificant act do you have? What could you do today? I'm going to give you three or four examples from the Indiana mission trip. And you can just take these and extrapolate them into your own life or find your own. God will be with you. Uh, in Indiana, we were, uh, took 25 people down. We had half the group painting um, uh, outside of a house of a disabled member of the First Presbyterian Church that was hosting us. Now, it was hot there. It was like hotter than last week. I know that's hard to imagine, but it was. It was hot. We used to drive north to Louisville to get you a sense of how south in Indiana we were. And it was hot, and it was humid, and we were sleeping on air mattresses, which sounds good on paper until you have to do it. But we're on air mattresses and an over-air-conditioned uh, Sunday school wing with a Methodist. It was hot. I was on a work site, and I, we had two habitat. We had a new construction, and we were doing all the finished landscaping. We actually seeded an entire lawn and planted and did patio type stuff. We had amazing what stuff. And then on the other other lot, we they had knocked over a garage, and we had to dismantle a three-car like big garage. And then they had knocked over two trees, which we had to dismantle and get so they could come over and plow it, not plow it, but finish grade in so that they could build the next house. It was hot work. And every day, Pat Bartlett, a member of First Press Mount Vernon, went to and got a cooler and filled it with ice cold Gatorade and ice. She put it in her trunk. She got a second cooler for the other work site. Now, think of your church or our church for a second. Are the refrigerators anywhere near the outside? They're not. So that takes something. You got to get it from where it was and get it to your car in that hockey. And she'd bring it to us twice a day to give us fresh Gatorade, cold Gatorade, to replenish the electrolytes. Another day, I was having that moment where my mindfulness said, I'm not in a good mood, but I have to have this meeting. And I had a little meeting with the leaders and some students. And we were just working out some small problems, nothing big, but I just wasn't in a happy place. And someone opens a door and intrudes into the meeting, leans in, and says, one of the other leaders said uh, that you should help me with a food question. And I remember thinking, not so nice thoughts. And one of our students, Jenna, pops up, says to the woman, I can answer all of your food questions. Well, Pusha kind of guides her out of the room, turns to me and says, RJ, I got this. I remember thinking, hallelujah. It turns out it was about, it turns out it was about yogurt flavors. <laughs> Jenna saves us. <laughs> saved me. And then on the hot, one of the worst days, towards the end of the week, I think it was Thursday, might have been Friday, we had one project that had to be finished by that evening because that's when the truck was going to come to take the landscape debris away. And so I had to say to the people after they had a full work day, can I get six volunteers, five or six people? Can we go back and finish this job? It should take an hour, two hours of time. I had two students who were always, oh, I can do more. They had that unending energy. Everybody else looked at me like, no, it's not going to happen. And then one of my senior girls looks up and goes, well, it's my last trip, so I better go. And that guilted the other three seniors. <laughs> Anyway, we got a group of six out there, and I have to say it's my own bad. I don't know why I didn't ask for a chainsaw. 
have no recollection of why I didn't ask for a chainsaw. So they were trying to take a big limb apart with a pickaxe and a saw. Oh. Yeah, bad decision on the reader's part. But there is a picture that I hope to get up in the social hall of Sean and David both going, with a saw in one hand and their pickaxe in the other, and that thing was finished. And while we were doing that, uh, Reverend Emily Began took three other students, and they went to a florist, and they got two bouquets of flowers. And then they went over to Pat Bartlett's house, knocked on her door, found her, and gave her and said thank you for everything she did. And then they drove out to Peg's house. Now Peg lives out in the even more rural area. They couldn't find her. Google couldn't find her house. MapQuest couldn't find her house. <laughs> two phone calls later, Pat knew where she lived. They got her. She got to Peg's house and they gave her flowers and thanked her for making sure we had food to eat all week. And what they said to those, to Pat and Peg, were simple. They said, thank you. They said, thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us continue in our prayer. Oh God, who sees us, you have searched us and know us. You know when we sit down and when we rise up. You see through us and we are grateful that we belong to you. Because you know this, you know that our hearts break when we look at the injustices of the world where innocent black lives must struggle to matter and blue lives are shut down in the very streets that they must protect. You know our painful, callous reality where racism, terrorism, xenophobia, and homophobia do not even make us flinch all that much anymore. Oh God, may your compassion and righteous anger spur us on toward justice, mercy, and reconciliation. May the bleak, brutal, violent reality of our streets one day match the just burden and peaceful truth of your kingdom. Oh God who knows us, we confess that too many times we're busy trying to hide from you, cowering in the corner of guilt and shame, afraid to be found worthless in your sight, scared that we have disappointed you. But where can we go from your spirit? Or where can we flee from your presence? You find us in the depth of our despair, in the pit of our self-loathing, and lull us back into the reality of your peace and mercy. Just as you have forgiven us, help us to forgive others and ourselves, so that we may become faithful disciples of Christ and powerful witnesses to the heavenly feast that is set before us. O God of truth, who has come to set us free, Liberate us from the lies this world whispers into our ears. Lies told by politicians that Muslims, immigrants, and people of certain color and of certain sexual orientation pose grave threats to our society. Lies about how, how peace can only be achieved through war and that revenge and violence are the only way to justice. Lies that success is dependent on stepping on others to get to the top. Lies told to the church that Sunday attendance is more important than loving our neighbors. O oh, lover of truth, won't you set us today, set us free today? Deliver us from the lies that have been fed to us again and again. 
lies told to young girls that the shape of their bodies is more important than the condition of their hearts. Lies told to young men that aggressiveness equals manliness. Lies that the more people we lock up behind bars, the safer we will be. Lies that our self-worth is measured by our productivity and determined by the size of our bank accounts. Teach us to counter these painful lies with the truth of your love, grace, mercy, and compassion. Help us to abandon such rhetoric of fear and self-preservation and instead foster within us the spirit of your love, courage, and sacrifice so that as individuals and as a church, we may widely spread your truth wherever we go. We especially pray for our boys and girls at First Press as well as counselors who will be at Camp Westminster all week this week. May they find God who is full of grace and truth and who loves them without any strings attached. May we, as a church, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. All this we ask in the name of the one who has taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.